The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. All right, well, if you would find your place in Scripture this morning, we're in the book of Hosea. It's hard to believe that this week and then next week, and we'll be finished with our study through the book of Hosea. Just two more weeks of counting this morning. All right, so here, here's, the, uh, here's the question before us today. Must a person hear the gospel to be saved? I want you to think about that. Must a person hear the gospel to be saved? And as you're pondering that, I want to read a short set of verses from the first chapter of the book of Romans. Here's what Paul wrote, and this is not our scripture for today, but it has a heavy bearing on our scripture for today. Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Now, that's the beginning of a, a sobering couple of paragraphs of Scripture. But it details for us what happened when the sinfulness of man really bloomed, so to speak, the, the interesting piece there says, even though they knew God, knew of God, they didn't honor Him as God, and they were not thankful. And so their minds, their, it says their minds and their, their hearts were darkened. So again, I ask the question, must a person hear the gospel to be saved? Now, before you answer too quickly... I'll share this. This is not something I wrote. This is another pastor. Here's what he wrote. The point of Romans 1, 18-20 is that all people everywhere are without excuse in the judgment. Because although God has revealed Himself in nature, nevertheless fallen men by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Natural revelation does not save. It does not overcome this suppression. Only the gospel does. God has appointed one way of salvation. 1 Timothy 1.15 Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 2.5 There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Acts 4.12 There is no other name but Jesus by which we must be saved. John 14.6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
Romans 10, 13-14. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But they cannot call on the one whom they haven't heard. And they can't hear without a preacher. What is at stake here is the eternal salvation of perishing people. Now, I'm going to ask the question one more time. Must you hear the gospel to be saved? And let me, let me just qualify that a little bit. If we believe that the Bible teaches you don't have to hear the gospel to be saved, then we need to apologize to thousands of years of missionaries and we need to take every missionary off the field immediately, get them out of harm's way. Because if you can be saved another way, they're needlessly suffering and needlessly dying for the cause of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of Christ. So think about this. Think about this from a biblical perspective. We have been, uh, in the name of Christ, going everywhere uh, uh, in many, many lands that uh, are very unfriendly to the gospel for the purpose of trying to get the good news of Jesus to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And even when that is done, many times... It's rejected. It's rejected. That's a sad, sad, terrible thing. But when we read Hosea chapter 13, the ironic title of this message today, The Death of a Nation, because we're going to see in this chapter 13 the cause of death and the source of death. But then at the end, after we've seen those things in chapter 13, we're going to consider this. Is there hope in the gospel? So follow me uh, if you'd like to on the screen or in your Bible. uh, And we're going to read chapter 13 of Hosea and then talk just briefly about the cause of death, the source of death, and the hope of the gospel. Here's what Hosea wrote and, and spoke under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He exalted himself in Israel, but through Baal he did wrong and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves molten images, idols skillfully made from their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. They say of them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they will be like the morning cloud and like dew which soon disappears, like chaff which is blown away from the threshing floor, like smoke from a chimney. Yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore they forgot me. So I will be like a lion to them, like a leopard. I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs, and I will tear open their chests. There I will also devour them like a lioness, as a wild beast would tear them. It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. Where now is your king that he may save you in all your cities? 
and your judges of whom you requested. Give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. The pains of childbirth come upon him. He is not a wise son, for it is not the time that he should delay at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. Though he flourishes among the reeds, an east wind will come, the wind of the Lord coming up from the wilderness, and his fountain will become dry, and his spring will be dried up. It, it will plunder his treasury of every precious article. Samaria will be held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword, their little ones will be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak clearly to us today. Lord, don't let me mess up your word. I pray that you will guard my, my speech and that anything you allow me to say will be in accordance to your word and that we'll forget anything that's not. So be glorified among us today. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. James Montgomery Boyce wrote, about the sixth chapter of Romans, specifically verse 23. He said, in the sixth chapter of Romans, there's a verse that should be memorized early and repeated often by every Christian. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God. So in this passage in Hosea, why would this nation be headed toward Death. What is the cause of death? The first three verses give us a picture of the cause of death. And quite simply, as I referenced just then in Romans 6.23, sin leads to death. Very clearly. No, no ambiguity, no vague words. The wages of sin is death. That's, that's what sin earns us. Death. That's what uh, is rightfully ours. Because of sin. Now, I want you to think about what uh, the text says about uh, even the analogy of our first parents, so to speak, Adam and Eve. Think about Adam and Eve and their progression. They were placed in the garden. Everything in all creation was at their disposal. But there was one tree in the garden that they were to leave alone. God gave the command to Adam... Adam passed it on to Eve. God said if they ate of this one tree, they would surely die. So they sinned by disobeying the command of God concerning that tree. And their punishment was spiritual and physical death. Now you remember what happened? And see, see the parallel with this text? Remember what happened when God came, uh, as the text says, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day? What did they do? They ran and hid. You know why? Because they were guilty. And they knew it. They knew they were guilty. They tried to hide. It's all in vain. And when they were questioned, you remember how that played out? The blame game. The man said, well, that woman you gave me. So the, the subtle piece there, we've talked about this before. He didn't just blame his wife. He blamed God. 
for giving him his wife. That took some backbone, right? Blame God? Okay. What did the woman do? Well, that serpent, everybody tries to shift the blame. No one wants to take responsibility. Now, in the text, in the first three verses, you see what God's people did. Through Baal, he did wrong and died. Look at verse 2 particularly. Now they sin more and more. They make idols, molten images, skillfully made from silver, all of them the work of craftsmen, and they tell each other to, to kiss the idols. So the Bible says they're going to be like the morning cloud or the dew which goes away early, or like smoke drifting out of a chimney. They're, they're, they're gone as a result of their sin. Now, that analogy of the garden was kind of a real easy picture to see, right? Because of what they did. Now, I'm going to tell you something here that might be a little uncomfortable, but I think it's going to be unfortunately accurate. We looked at the analogy of the garden. What about the analogy of our nation? Like a past, present, and future tense. James Boyce writes that a nation dies in spirit when it forgets God and begins to worship that which is not God. The first step in a nation's death takes place when its God consciousness dissipates, or worse yet, is deliberately removed. Ring any bells? This is precise, precisely what has happened in America. Past tense. What about present tense? When the soul of a nation dies, the national character deteriorates. We see this in the lowering moral standard of our citizens. The accelerated corruption of business, the breakup of families, materialism, and the increase in crime. We also see it at the national level in the failure of government to keep faith with its people and those of other nations. Sound familiar? How about the future tense? Spirit, soul. Finally, the body of the nation dies. Police, courts, politicians, schools, workers, managers, and eventually everything breaks down and caves in. And then the nation disappears. That's frightening. When you read something like that and you first think, well, I mean, surely that's not going to, it's not going to get that bad. It's not going to get to that point. That's not going to happen. Really? Sound like a lot of that has, has already happened and is currently happening. That, that's frightening to me. But, but be sure we understand and see clearly what is the real culprit. It's sin. It's always, you ask enough questions, well, why did this happen? Well, because, the, well, why did that happen? Okay, well, why did, why did that happen? Sin. That's where we get to. Sin. Sin is the cause of spiritual and physical death. Now, 
That's the cause of death, but the rest of the chapter speaks to the source of death. So from verse 4 down to verse 16 to the end of the chapter, Boyce writes again that Hosea says that God sends death. That's, that's kind of weird sounding, right? He is the destroyer. The one who previously has preserved the nation is now bringing judgment on the nation. And the Bible tells us so clearly, so clearly in verse 4, I've been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you are not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. And then you see verse 6. They forgot. They forgot. Well, how did that happen? Let's look about these three images that are given here in this text. The first part here is about a shepherd. From verse 4 down to verse 11. God has been with Israel since leading them out of Egypt. He made very clear they were to acknowledge no God but Him. He is the only Savior. And then the, the text shows us how God pastured them in the wilderness, which is the normal duty of a shepherd. But, but look at the progression in verse 6. Since they had their pasture, they became satisfied. Since they became satisfied, they, their hearts became proud. Since their hearts became proud, they forgot all about God. Here's what it looks like today. Um, everything's going pretty good in, in my life. Got no major problems. So, um, alright, I'm good, God. I'll call you if I need you, but I'm fine. I don't, I don't need you right now. Just, uh, you know... I'll dial the 911 if things start to go differently. But right now everything's good, so you just you know stay in your corner, and I'll stay in mine, and you know we, we won't have to you know. I appreciate everything, but I don't need you right now. Is there ever a time when we don't need God? I mean, does that does that time exist? If we think it does, then we are very very uh, disillusioned, and uh, we have misunderstood who God is and what He's done, and what He continues to do. So this same God who pastured His people in the wilderness, He's now going to be the one who brings them destruction. When you look at verses 7 and 8, bad picture. I'm going to be like a lion, like a leopard. How about a bear robbed of her cubs? you ever seen a video of a mama bear and somebody threatening her cubs? Not good. Not too good. He's going to devour them like a lioness, as a wild beast, it says in verse 8. So now, God tells His people, you are now going against the only one who can help you. He actually uses those words in verse 9. You're against me. You're against your help. It makes no sense. It's completely illogical. But that's the result of sin. It causes us to lose our minds. Right? We're not thinking right. If we would just think biblically, logically, we would never make some of the decisions we make. But at that moment, we've lost our minds. We're not thinking clearly. Certainly not biblically. So they're against the only one who can help them and the king and the judges that they asked for are no help. Not a surprise. Now, verses 12 to 14 give us an image of, of an unborn child. 
Israel's sin is bound up, stored up. Like it's ready to be dealt with. And so when a baby's ready to be born, it's unnatural for it not to be born. Uh, I remember when uh, our uh, third child was, was about to be born. This is when Darlene's health was in complete peril and uh, she was in intensive care and things were, were getting bad. And I remember the doctor saying, the solution here is to deliver this baby. Because when you reach a certain point, uh, instead of growth, now it becomes like uh, this is the thing that's causing all the difficulty for the mother. And so this baby's ready to, to be born and thrive on his, on his own. And, and so we've got, to, we've got to deliver this baby. To, to delay would be harmful to mother and child. Right, so that's what the Bible is pointing out. When the baby's ready, the baby's ready, it's time to have the birth. Uh, James Boyce writes, if a baby can't be born, it's unnatural, it's dangerous, and it's eventually fatal. So the rejection of God by Israel is unnatural. For the one who's been delivered and kept by God, they ought to be thankful, right? They ought to be thankful. God has cared for them so well and for so long. It's dangerous because it invites judgment. And it's ultimately fatal because God's going to judge the nation that rejects Him. Right? That, that's, that's not a surprise. It shouldn't come as some shock that when God's people forget God and rebel against God and ignore God, there's consequences. We, we've said that almost every Sunday for the last six months. There are consequences for our actions. The whole idea of the Garden of Eden is such a beautiful illustration of that because that was the beginning of, not my fault, I'm the victim here. Really? You're not the victim, you just have no backbone. How about stand up and take responsibility for your actions? It might be bad, but actions have consequences and we have to own them. And, and throughout history... Since the garden, sin has diverted that natural flow of behavior, of accountability, responsibility. And so now, everybody, and I use that, I know it's a generalization, and I was taught not to do those things, but everybody's a victim, right? It's always, it's always somebody else's fault. You know, forget the fact that, you know, I, I long to see that Dr. Phil interview with the 15-year-old child who sits up there and says, No, my mom was great. My dad was great. I'm just a loser. <laughs> I just made some terrible choices, okay? They were great. I had a great home. I can't blame anybody for this. You know what? That's never going to happen. <laughs> that, that interview's not happening because it's always someone else's fault. And that's exactly what happened with God's people here. The third image in the last two verses is a destructive wind. The Bible says the wind of the Lord is coming up from the wilderness and it represents an, an invasion that's coming from Syria and God's using people to judge His people. So Israel's treasury is going to be plundered, it says. They're going to fall by the sword. But then the final image in the, in the 16th verse is just, is just terrible because it represents complete destruction from... Uh, Women to children. It's not just, not just the soldiers on the battlefield. Women and children. And I always, yes. I watch NCIS. That's one of my favorite shows. 
you know, Gibbs has got his rules. If you're familiar with that, he's got his rules. Well, you know what rule number 44 is? First things first. Hide the women and children. That, that's the rule. Because you, women and children don't need to be caught up in the, in the wars of men. Okay? That, that's the honorable, noble way to conduct yourself. You protect the women and children. And by the way, that's every man's job. If you want to be a godly man, that's top on the list. Lead your family toward Christ and protect those given to your charge. So this represents a complete reversal. Verse 16, they'll fall by the sword, then their little ones will be dashed in pieces. Their pregnant women will be ripped open. This is God's people being held to account for their rebellion against Him. And, and folks, that's never a pretty picture. And, and rightfully so. It ought, to, it ought to give us cause to, to think a minute before we rebel against God. This is, this is bad. This judgment, this wrath, this is bad. And we don't want that. We want to follow our good and gracious and merciful and kind God because of all He's done, who He is, we, we don't want those consequences. We want to follow Him. But this is the source of death that's coming to this nation, and it's a result of their sin. So, you have the cause of death is sin. The source of death is the one who should have been protecting because that was what His desire was. But the people were rebellious. So they reaped what they sowed. Now, that's the end of chapter 13. But there needs to be some follow-up to that. And that's why the third part of this particular message is this question. Is there hope in the Gospel? And honestly, if there is not hope in the Gospel, then is there hope anywhere? I wonder. Because... If we can't find hope in the gospel of Christ, where on earth or in heaven might we ever find it? There is no other hope but Jesus. And, and that's why God made such a big deal about Jesus and about the gospel and about the church being responsible to convey the gospel. That's where we find hope. That's where we find redemption. That's where we find forgiveness. That's where we find eternal life is in Christ alone. There can never be any confusion about that. That was always the intention. The gospel is our hope. There's always, even in the situations as dire as this, there's always the possibility of grace. And forgiveness because all things are possible with God. James Boyce writes that we need to note that for every nation that has experienced repentance on a national scale and been spared, there are still hundreds of others that just continue on their sinful way, oblivious to the judgment that was coming upon them. 
Although repentance may not occur nationally so that the nation is saved, it can always happen to and for individuals who are willing to repent. And and, and folks, I'm going to just tell you, from my perspective, I don't know if our nation as a whole is going to repent. But you know what? Not going to stop me from repenting. I am not going to be swept up in the sin and the rebellion of a nation that has forgotten God because I am responsible for my response to Christ. I am responsible to lead my family in the right response to Christ. And I, I refuse to let anyone else divert that direction. When I know the truth, and I know Jesus, and I know what His power looks like, and so I'm not going to just sit idly by while the the world goes to hell. I'm going to try to take as many people to heaven as I can. And that is our that's our cause. That's our mandate. That's our goal. That's what we're charged to do. Not just sit in a corner and say, well, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm going to heaven. So, y'all do what you want. But I'm, no. There's no compassion in that. There's no obedience in that. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He didn't say uh, the Holy Spirit, you know, he, He might show up. He might do something for you. And and if He does, you know, then you can decide, you know, if you have enough time, spare time, and you're not too busy, you can mention mention me to someone. That That's not what the Bible says. Nowhere does the Bible say that. Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, 21, Acts 1-8, every one of them says the same thing. Go. Make disciples. You will be my witnesses. If you belong to me, here's your commission. You ever, uh, anybody that, that has served in the military and received a commission? You ever sat down and, and negotiated that and debated it? Hey, uh, I like what you did here. Uh, I, like, you know, I like to travel, so I like to go here. But um, I've got a few concerns about this and, and the, the other requirements. How's that work, Drew? Any, any success negotiating with the Marine Corps? Negative. You don't, you don't negotiate when the, when the Commander-in-Chief gives you your commission. You say, yes, sir, and you get to it. Well, there's no earthly commander that has the authority of Jesus. And when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, because I'm giving you the power of the Spirit of God, and you're going to go in your hometown, and then you're going to branch out in surrounding towns and states, and then you're going to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel And by the way, 
the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. You ever think about that? Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And maybe one of my favorites, Colossians chapter 1. Verses 21 to 23. Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. You want to know why Paul very plainly said in Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. You know why he was so confident? Because he also wrote this letter to the Colossian church. And he said, this is what awaits if you hold firmly to the faith. And, and where did you get that faith? Through the hope of the gospel that was proclaimed to you. You realize, back to the first question, you realize why I have a deep-rooted, firm conviction that people need to hear the truth and the good news of Jesus in order to be saved. If we didn't believe that, then you know what the, the most loving thing you could do for people? You know what it would be? Walk up to somebody and say, Hey, have you ever heard anything about Jesus? And if they said no, then say, okay, well listen, if anybody ever tries to tell you about Jesus, close your ears, run away. Don't hear it. Because if you're, if you're able to be saved without hearing the truth of Jesus, then the, the most terrible thing you could do is tell them about Jesus. Because then if they say no, now they're accountable. But if they haven't heard and they can get saved another way, whatever you do, don't tell them. Because once they hear, they're responsible. You realize how contrary that is to Scripture? Everywhere in the New Testament, all four Gospels and the book of Acts, we are commanded to take the Gospel everywhere. Jesus didn't stutter when He gave us that direction. 
you will be my witnesses. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. The most simple form I've ever heard, John 20, 21. Jesus said, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Go. Go. Take the gospel of Christ and go everywhere you can to everyone you can so they might be saved. When when Peter wrote that, that Lord's not slow in keeping His promise, He's patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance, I mean, do I? <laughs> I'm not. This isn't funny. Do I need to explain that? Go. Share the gospel. Tell somebody about Jesus. Jesus, listen. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is our only hope? Is he the only hope for this world? Well, then tell somebody. Tell somebody. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.